0: Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. I'll have the first slide up. This is uh, 30-year-old Alexei Bykov, Bykov, a wealthy Russian businessman. On the day he was to propose to her girlfriend, Irina, he asked her to meet him at a certain place. There with the help of a film director and a stuntman that he had hired, he faked his death in a car crash, complete with fake blood, an ambulance, and a crashed car. She was obviously devastated when she arrived, uh, and she was told that uh, Alexei had uh, died. But suddenly he rises from the dead, and walks out of the ambulance to pop the question with flowers, balloons, an engagement ring in hand. Realizing it was a prank, as you can imagine, she runs away from him in anger and in tears. Incredibly, incredibly, she did see the funny side and said yes to him. Alexei, we're told, was trying to make a point. He said, I wanted her to realize how empty her life would be without me and how she would have no meaning without me. I think it worked, but I promise it's the last time. That's a red flag for me right there. What a narcissist, right? But anyways, that's a very bizarre uh, proposal. But as we continue in our sermon series on the book of Ruth, we're going to read about another unusual marriage proposal. The book of Ruth is a very heart-rending, but also a very heartwarming story. Uh, the story begins with tragic news, if you remember. Naomi, her husband, Elimelech, in search of a better life, moved from Bethlehem to Moab, a country to the east of River Jordan with their two sons. Her husband, unfortunately, and tragically, dies shortly after the move. Her two boys marry local girls, but they too die 10 years later without any children. Naomi, in utter despair, decides to return to her hometown, Bethlehem. There was nothing for her in Moab. Moab except heartache. One daughter-in-law decides to remain in Moab, but the other, Ruth, pledges her love and loyalty to Naomi and follows her. But they arrive in Bethlehem as destitute, childless widows. Naomi blames God for her bitter, miserable, empty life. In chapter 2, Ruth, with great fortitude, decides to go to the fields to glean in order to feed the two of them. And it just so happens that she labors in the field belonging to Boaz. Now, Boaz turns out to be a wealthy relative of Naomi's husband. But more than that, Boaz is a godly man, an absolute gentleman, a man of character. And at the end of uh, chapter 2, we're told that Ruth works in the field of Boaz until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. That's a period of about three months. Where to imagine that during this three-month period, Boaz and Ruth are spending uh, some time together. When we come to chapter three, what's to become of the most eligible bachelor and the most eligible widow? That's the... That's the setting uh, of chapter 3. Chapter 3 consists of three scenes. In scene 1, which is from verses 1 to 5, we have Naomi having a heart-to-heart chat with Ruth at home during the day about Ruth's future. In scene 2, from verses 6 to 15, we have the meeting that takes place between Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. And in the final scene, from verses 16 to 18, Naomi and Ruth evaluate Ruth's meeting with Boaz. And this conversation also takes place at Naomi's home. Scene one, verses one to five. Whereas in chapter two, it was Ruth was proactive. But in chapter three, though, it is Naomi who takes the initiative. But we see a very different Naomi. Back in chapter one, She was quite self-absorbed with the pain and sorrow. So much so, she paid no attention to Ruth's share of pain and sorrow. But in chapter 2, we see that uh, Naomi's faith in God begins to be revived. as She recognizes that, that, that Ruth is a gift of God. It's a gift of God's goodness. It's a gift of God's kindness to her. She also sees God's grace through Boaz's generosity toward her and Ruth. And that is why at the start of chapter 3, we see Naomi no longer thinking of herself, but Ruth's well-being. A change of outlook can make a difference to your life. What we set our minds on shapes us. My daughter, in verse 1, Naomi says to Ruth, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? The word translated as home means a resting place and refers to the condition of security and peacefulness of a married woman in an Israelite society. So Naomi is thinking of finding a husband for Ruth. Something, by the way, that she actually had wanted for Ruth when she became a widow like her back in chapter one. But she's also wanting to see Ruth married so that she will be provided for when Naomi dies. You see, it's, it's one thing for Ruth to live as a widow in a strange land, but with, with Naomi around, but quite another to do so when Naomi dies. So she's really thinking long and hard of Ruth's welfare. Now, Naomi believes that Boaz, a close relative, from her husband's side, could be the one for Ruth. Now, another word for close relative in your many Bible translations is, is, is the word kinsman, redeemer, or goel in Hebrew. We saw this word used last week, and we see it again here. So what is a kinsman, redeemer? What is a, a goel? Well, a goel was the nearest adult male blood relative advocate who stood up for and delivered from difficulty, circumstances, and danger, any vulnerable family members, any vulnerable relatives. There's no similar institution in modern Western societies. The terminology associated with goel is almost exclusively Hebrew. In ancient ancient Israel, a goel has many duties, but we would just focus on the relevant ones here in the book of Ruth. You might remember uh, that God divided up the land to each family of each tribe when they entered the promised land. It was important that the land stayed in the family. Important for God and important for the Israelite community. For this reason, the kinsman redeemer law was instituted. Now we have to assume that Elimelech sold his land land before immigrating to Moab. Given Naomi's financial state, she has no means of repurchasing the field. That's sold to a third party. uh, And given Naomi is a childless widow, his nearest Goel has the the opportunity to perform a leveret marriage. That's the technical term that is not only voluntarily redeem Elimelech's land, but marry his widow, have children and carry on the family's name. Now, the only eligible widow that's of marriageable age in Elimelech's family is Ruth, not Naomi. Now, if the closest kin passes up on this opportunity, then the next closest kin would be next in line and so on and so forth. But it must be emphasized that the Goel takes up this responsibility voluntarily. It's not something that's forced upon the Goel. That Boaz was a recognized Goel, a kinsman, redeemer, was the key premise of Naomi's bold but risky plan to get Boaz and Ruth hitched. Because it would be reasonable for Ruth to appeal to Boaz to take her in marriage and in the process safeguard the prosperity, pros- posterity of Elimelech's family. Besides, Boaz knows Ruth and has a soft spot for her. Naomi proceeds to give Ruth very specific instructions. And one reason is probably because Ruth is a foreigner in, in quite Uh, lacks knowledge in local customs and procedures. So she tells Ruth in verses three to four, wash, put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man, don't let Boaz know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. And then he will explain to you what you should do. And then we're told that Ruth follows Naomi's instructions to the letter, which brings us to the second scene from verses six to 15. But you have to ask, what on earth is going on there? When you read that and you think, what, what is Naomi suggesting? Is Naomi suggesting that Ruth seduces Boaz, because that's what it looks like. Get Boaz so that he's on his own at night, and then make your move, as it were. Now, some have suggested this interpretation. I would argue that this is highly unlikely, given how the author has, for the past two chapters, been very intentional in establishing Ruth and Boaz' credentials as individuals of exemplary character. That's the first thing to note. The second is all Naomi is asking Ruth to do is make herself presentable. That's it. She's not asking her to dress up as a tot. That's not what's happening here. Just make yourself presentable. And the most likely explanation for this is for Ruth to let Boaz know that she's ready to move on with her life, right? She was a widow. Now she's ready to move on with her life and that she is available for marriage. Still, that's a bit forward, isn't it? Even in our society for the woman to go, I'm available for marriage. Uh, But remember what I said earlier about the leveret marriage. There's a catch. The kinsman redeemer had to be asked by the widow to redeem her husband's land or family land and marry her. In other words, Ruth had to propose to Boaz. And it was quite normal and fine. That's the third thing to point out. The fourth thing is it was very likely that Boaz wasn't there alone. It explains Naomi's instruction to Ruth to notice where he would end up sleeping. This was late at night, as I said earlier. It'd be humiliating, would it not, if Ruth approached the wrong man? Go, hello, you're not poet. Sorry. Uh, you, know, all the, you know, the cover of darkness would not explain uh, that embarrassing situation. It also explains her instruction to Ruth to keep a low profile at the threshing floor. See, just stay quiet. Don't make yourself heard. Because there would have been a crowd for that instruction to make sense. Now to the bit that leaves us scratching our head in verse 7. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down of the pile of, at the end of the pile of barley. And then she went in secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Boaz is not drunk, but in good spirits. That's the first, fifth thing to mention The sixth thing is the uncovering of his feet. That is not a euphemism, meaning that Ruth had sexual relations with Boaz, as some have claimed. There is a Hebrew idiom that uses the verb uncover that describes sexual relations, but it's to uncover a person's nakedness, not their feet. And furthermore, scholars are very divided over whether feet was ever a Hebrew euphemism for the male sexual organs. Verse 8 would strongly suggest that the use of feet in that chapter literally means feet. In verse 8, in the middle of the night, something startled a man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Now, what was the purpose of this gesture then? Well, it could be a symbolic, acceptable, though unusual, customary way of proposing, although this methodology is not repeated elsewhere in the Old Testament. Or it could be simply a clever strategy on the part of Naomi to make sure that Boaz doesn't stay comfortable during the night asleep, that he would be woken during the night with his feet exposed to the cold air. You know, and he wakes up and then that would be an opportunity for Ruth to speak to him alone while the other workers are either asleep or gone home. Anyways, we we don't really know, but I I think maybe the letter makes sense. Just uncover his feet and so that he would wake up um, and talk to you. She proposes marriage to him, verse 9. Spread the cover of your garment over me since you are kinsman redeemer. Spread the garment, the corner of your garment over me since you are kinsman redeemer. Marry me, love me, redeem me and my family. Be my kinsman redeemer, was what Ruth was saying to Boaz. Boaz, in response, says to Ruth in verse 10, The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there's actually another one who's more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian, rede- guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here till, until morning. Here we see again in Boaz's response uh, clearly underscores that Ruth's action, you know, uncovering the feet and laying down, was about a marriage proposal and not let's have sex. Now, if she was attempting to seduce him, he would not have pronounced the blessing on her. Now, there's no quest- question that the scene on the threshing floor is sexually provocative. But we constantly, we're constantly we constantly, and consistently find Ruth and Boaz depicted as individuals of unmatched integrity. Now, Boaz is very impressed by Ruth's greater kindness. That is, by willing to, to marry an older, well-established man like himself, Ruth will ensure that Naomi will be well provided for into the future. Not just the immediate future, but until she dies. So Boaz is very taken by her act of kindness towards Naomi. But Ruth's decision is also selfless in another way. Ruth is forgoing the opportunity for a new love match with a man closer to her age. But Boaz assures her that he will do all that he asks. Ruth must be so relieved to hear Boaz say, that. But there's a problem. Boaz tells Ruth, there is another kinsman redeemer ahead of him in the clan hierarchy. He has to inform this guy about his right of first refusal. And once again, receive Boaz's integrity on display. Boaz tells Ruth, if he's not interested, then Boaz will marry Ruth love and honor her provide for her and take on all the debts and responsibilities that come with marrying her and he would do it gladly and willingly all that he is and all that he has will be hers can you sense the tension will boaz get cold feet now most of you know the story so you that uh, there's no tension there but just imagine you didn't know the end of the story that's the tension you're left with. Will Boaz get cold feet? Will he change his mind? Will the other go out and exercise his right of first refusal? And what if he does? Will Boaz fight for Ruth? Sounds like a, an episode from, the pride, uh, from Pride and Prejudice, doesn't it? Will Mr. Darcy do it? will say yes. And finally, the last scene from verses 16 to 18, which is very brief. Naomi is desperate to find out about Ruth's meeting with Boaz. Ruth uh, gives her a full and comprehensive report, including the gift of more barley from Boaz, as he didn't want Ruth to go back to Naomi empty-handed. What a generous, thoughtful man. There's no question the narrator wants us to reflect on Naomi's reversal of fortune in contrast to her despair back in chapter 1, verse 21. Remember where she said when she left Bethlehem for Moab, she left full, but now she has returned empty. Naomi encourages Ruth to trust God and wait patiently for Boaz to work things out Because she is sure that Boaz is a a man of his word. If he says he's going to work it out, he will work it out. But meanwhile, all we can do is pray and commit this matter to the Lord. Now what's the take-home message from this beautiful story? I can tell you with great certainty that it's not about what a biblical marriage proposal looked like. Okay, so don't propose that way. There's nothing romantic about proposing at the threshing floor. The story of Naomi and Ruth is a story of redemption. The story of Naomi and Ruth is a story of redemption. Not only theirs, but ours. Boaz's act of extraordinary mercy and generosity as Naomi and Ruth's kinsman-redeemer foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ, our ultimate kinsman-redeemer. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Our redemption, in other words, cost Jesus his life, Because our sin debt wasn't finite, but infinite. But he willingly, despite that, he willingly and lovingly took upon himself this debt so that we can have forgiveness. But it's more than that. He took on this debt so that we can be in relationship with him as his sons, precious sons and precious daughters. It's not just about the forgiveness of sins, but it's so that we can have an intimate relationship with him. That's why Jesus willingly and lovingly went to the cross to become our goel, to take on our infinite debt that we cannot possibly repay. But he paid it with his own life. Tom, a little boy, carried his new boat into the edge of the river one day. He carefully placed that boat in the water and slowly let out the string. This is before, you know, motorized things came into fashion. How smoothly the boat sailed. Tom uh, sat in the warm sunshine admiring the little boat that he had built. Suddenly, a strong current caught the boat. Tom tried to pull it back to shore, but the string broke. The little boat raced downstream. Tom ran along the sandy shore as fast as he could. But his little boat soon slipped out of sight. All afternoon, he searched for the boat. Finally, when it was too dark to look any longer, Tom went home feeling absolutely dejected and upset. A few days later, on the way to school, from home, Tom spotted a boat just like his at a store window. When he got closer, sure enough, it was his boat. Tom hurried into the store and spoke to the store manager. Sir, that's my boat in your window. I made it. Sorry, son, but someone else brought it in this morning. If you want it, you'll have to buy it from me for a dollar. Tom ran home and counted all the money that he had saved up. Exactly one dollar. When he reached the store, he rushed to the counter. Here's the money for my boat. And as he left the store, Tom hugged his boat and said, now you are twice First, I made you, now I bought you. First, I made you, now I bought you. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Lila, O Daryl, O oh, Helen, O oh, Ghana, O oh, Peter, Tanya. He who formed you, O oh, Matthew, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name in your mind. This is how we become Christians. That is what it means to be a Christian. To say to Jesus, spread the corner of your garment over me, my kinsman redeemer. Spread the corner of your garment over me, my kinsman redeemer. Not God. I promise to really try hard and be good enough for you. I'll come to church more often. I'll read the Bible more often. I'll pray more often. I'll obey the Ten Commandments more completely. I won't fail you. I promise I will do better the next time. Just give me another chance. I'll try. I won't stop giving up. Fear and legalism cannot awaken love. Only love can awaken love. Fear and legalism cannot awaken love for God. Only love can awaken love in our hearts. Believing that Jesus truly loves you and wants you for himself. Acting and standing upon this reality, standing upon Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1. I have redeemed you, fear not. You are mine. Don't ever doubt that. Even when you mess up, even when you stuff up, what happens when, we, when that happens? The first thing that comes to our mind is fear, is it not? That God is upset. That God is going to be upset with us. That God is ashamed of us. That God can no longer look into our faces and go, what have I done? What do I have to do for you? Your doubts, your sinning again and again and again. I'm done with you. I'm through with you. Isn't that what we anticipate that God would do and God would say to us? And that fear, crippled by fear of God, I'm sorry. And you have an accident, oh, that's probably my penance. You trip and injure yourself, that's, that's probably God punishing me. gospel that, go- that Jesus preached it's not a gospel that incite fear that evokes fear, that's not the gospel the gospel that Jesus preached evokes in us love you're not a piece of junk but you're no saint either you're not a piece of junk but you're no saint either If your love for the Lord has gone cold, if you want to experience more deeply the Father's love, if you you want your heart to truly change, if you want to root out legalism in your life, look no further than the cross. There you will see Jesus' acts of incredible grace, mercy, and justice as our kinsman redeemer. That will change you. Come to Jesus in humility and pray. Spread the corner of your garment upon me, my kinsman redeemer. Reveal your love for me. His answer will be swift and will be firm. Of course I will. Of course I want to. Of course I want to shower you with my love, kindness, and compassion. That's our kinsman redeemer we act upon that, when we stand upon that truth when we believe and receive his word as truth then the heart in us will change. If it is hot it will grow soft. If it is empty of love it will be filled with love. If it is riddled with legalism, I must, I have to I should then the love of God will free you From that, you will, as Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. That obedience comes from a loving response to Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we pray the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesians. God, you would help us grasp more than we are grasping right now, the length, the breadth, the depth, the height of your love as our kinsman redeemer. That you willingly and that you lovingly went to the cross on our behalf. You weren't just fulfilling an obligation like, like, like Boaz. Yes, he wanted to fulfill his obligation, but he truly loved Ruth. He wanted to marry her. Not out of, just out of duty, but he loved her. He wanted to shower her with his love, kindness, and compassion. And everything that he is and everything that he has, he wanted Ruth to know that it it was, his, it was hers. I pray, God, that, that you will reveal more in depth your love for us. I pray. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear about our worth. Fear about our future. Fear about our standing with you. Fear about where we are in our relationship with you. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.